Howdy, and welcome back to This Is News. I'm Reem, joined as always by Jack. Jack, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you? All things considered, I think I'm doing pretty well. Um, Jack, I think right out of the gate, we need to address kind of the big story this week here in the United States, which is the absolute tragedy that has occurred in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are dismayed, of course, at the death of George Flynn, and we're both very glad the officers involved are either already charged or still under investigation by state and federal employees, uh, state and federal governments. They should all be punished to the fullest extent of the law, and their actions are reprehensible. And we would encourage people to read the statements by Senators Klobuchar or Romney. Um, We think both of them have done a great job portraying the situation. If you want more punditry on the matter, you can easily find it, but we're going to focus on other events that are happening in the world. However, Jack, I think you want to note just one thing about how this affects um, Veep stakes for the Biden campaign. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, Obviously, what's most important right now is that this was a uh, tragedy and uh, an avoidable one at that, and that uh, these people should be, uh, like you said, prosecuted the full extent of the law. I also would like to add on to uh, Senator Klobuchar and Senator Romney's statements. The Justice Department has put out a lot of good info on it, and it appears that they will be investigating and uh, justice will hopefully be done at the end of this. But uh, even though that is the most important, uh, there are some major political ramifications for this. Uh, The most obvious being the uh, potential vice presidency of Amy Klobuchar. Now, Amy Klobuchar was seen as one of the best vice president uh, options for Joe Biden. And both you and I have uh, said he would be wise to pick her uh, for a few reasons. Obviously, she's moderate and she is in Minnesota, which is a a swing state. Hillary Clinton, I think, only won it by a few thousand votes uh, last election, if I'm not mistaken. It uh, was definitely a close race. But uh, this situation definitely could throw a wrench in uh, Amy Klobuchar's vice president plans. Jack, it was uh, a one point. It was a one point five percent margin that Hillary Clinton won it by. Right, one point five percent margin. So it could easily easily flip at the uh, next election. But uh, one of the thing, the major thing that's coming out for this is uh, Amy Klobuchar served as the I think it's Hennepin County attorney. Uh, which covers Minneapolis for eight years, according to the uh, Daily Wire. And uh, her uh, prosecutorial record is under scrutiny after it emerged that uh, one of the officers who was involved in this this terrible killing of uh, George Floyd, uh, she had the chance to prosecute her earlier, uh, prosecute him earlier, sorry, and she passed on the opportunity and she let him go free. So obviously, based on this dude's current actions, that appears to be a major mistake by her. And already the uh, betting odds for her being vice president have uh, become seven to one, leading uh, for both Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren to now be ahead. Of her. Uh, Reem, did you have anything you wanted to uh, add to that? No, I, I definitely think as kind of the legal case develops um, against the officers, I know we'll probably be talking about that more on the podcast, um, but I, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not this is um, one of those things that sticks on Amy Klobuchar, um, because those who followed the primaries really closely will remember a lot of reports came out about how she um, allegedly abused staffers um, in her Senate office. And those never really stuck, right? So I'm not I'm not sure if this is going to be one of those things that kind of sticks on her or if this is going to be just a 
temporary scandal that she quickly gets over and ends up being well behind her by the time um, she could be picked for the vice presidential nomination of the Democratic Party. Um, we'll just kind of have to wait and see on that, right? Right. Uh, the one last thing I would add on that is uh, I'm not trying to uh, – obviously, she should have prosecuted the guy, but I don't think either one of us would uh, inf- try to make any accusations that she had any racist motive for not doing so. This appears to be incompetence on her part, not malice. But uh, obviously, this uh, story is getting lots of attention from uh, the media, and it's going to continue to do so. So even though it is an important story, we thought that we would focus on some other important stories that are happening right now that are not getting the attention that we think they deserve. And uh, that takes us right back to China. Uh, Today was actually a a pretty major day for U.S.-Chinese relations. Uh, President Trump has uh, declared that the U.S. will be ending its relationship with the WHO because basically he accuses them of cozying up to China and peddling their propaganda. Along with this, China is continuing to take aggressive action concerning both Hong Kong and Taiwan, which has led the U.S. to start seeking multiple uh, multiple actions to condemn them, including uh, suspending entry to U.S. Uh, suspending entry to the U.S. by Chinese nationals, according to the Wall Street Journal, and we are also considering sanctions. Uh, Along with that, the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, and Australia have released a joint reprimand of China over Hong Kong's law. This is getting really serious over in China and in Asia as a whole. Reem, what are you thinking about the situation? Uh, What's the future hold for it? Well, so let's set aside the WHO for a moment. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that in depth. Um, I kind of just want to focus on some of these um, domestic issues for China, domestic being in air quotes there. So the South China Morning Post earlier today um, noted that China has blocked the U.S. and U.K.'s move for a discussion in the U.N. Security Council about the the issue in with Hong Kong. Um, So the China's U.N. delegation has said that, quote, a vast majority of Security Council members oppose a formal debate on this issue, which... Uh, gets back to that idea of discourse power that we mentioned last episode where China basically sees itself as being able to set the set, set the docket for these international debates. And this, the, this appears to be a clear example of that um, right in front of us. However, um, there are a couple of really interesting things that are happening in the U.S. with regards to this Hong Kong um, crisis um, where the Secretary of State has said that the State Department no longer rep- recognizes Hong Kong as being autonomous from the Beijing government. Um, Listeners will, of course, recall that Hong Kong is guaranteed autonomy for 50 years until 2047, I think, um, under the the treaty where they were given back to the People's Republic of China by the British government. Um, So if the British government comes out and says that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous, that gets into a like very, very interesting gray area of international law where China would be in violation of this treaty. And I, I haven't read the um, agreement um, yet, but I, I would be really interested to see what the enforcement mechanisms look like. Um, and I seriously wonder if this only will... I hope that this emboldens the Hong Kong um, independence protesters who want to see actual real autonomy in Hong Kong. Um, 
And I know we both support them in their efforts for true universal and democratic rule in that, um, in that city state. Uh, for sure. I, I completely agree. Uh, honestly, I feel like we've discussed this last episode. It really feels like the United States has been treating uh, China's tyranny uh, with kid gloves uh, for decades, and we have done very little to address it. We've just sort of accepted that it's a part of life and moved on. I'm really hoping that uh, although it's scary how much stuff is happening in the world right now that seems so negative, like China uh, moving towards oppressing Hong Kong further, uh, considering violating Taiwan's uh, rights as well, and uh, getting into border disputes with India and everything with the WHO, this is all really bad stuff, but I'm hoping that it helps us finally get our, uh, like, figure out that we've been doing the wrong thing and we need to recognize what the problem is and start actually addressing the issue that is Chinese communist tyranny. I mean, this is the same evil empire that was in the Soviet Union that Ronald Reagan stood against. And it's our generation's responsibility to stand against this evil empire. We need to start taking more steps to, uh, to face them and eventually defeat them. And uh, a very good step is to fully support the people of Hong Kong in their efforts to remain autonomous against China. And honestly, we should push for further freedom. Uh, I would I would support a completely free Hong Kong that has, uh, where China has no control whatsoever and is uh, completely independent. Yeah, so I'd like to read a little bit more from the statement the Chinese mission to the United Nations issued on why they didn't want to see an open video conference of the Security Council meeting on this issue and instead only wanted it to be informal. And thus, off the record, they said, quote, The United States and the United Kingdom, for their own political purposes, have been making unwarranted comments, interfering and obstructing and attempting to push for an open video conference in the UN Security Council. China expressed strong criticism and the vast majority of council members did not support the U.S. proposal, believing that the Hong Kong-related issues were China's internal affairs and had nothing to do with the mandates of the Security Council. Um, I don't buy that. Like, that's like pretty pretty blatant um so anyone like here's what's wrong with that is that there's international agreements that hong kong will be democratic right so anything china does to stop that isn't an internal matter because they signed a treaty with the uk saying they would make sure it happens right like right which i have to say real quick was a terrible treaty i mean uh there was uh, no logical reason to have trusted that China was going to keep its word. It was inevitable that it was going to come to this. And uh, once again, we're finding ourselves in a mess that we that we created for ourselves. This, this could have been fixed much earlier. And uh, it's going to be a real struggle figuring a way out. Well, okay, okay. So, however, however, there are some encouraging developments from the UK side of things, right? So, the United Kingdom issued British national passports to Hong Kongers, um, who were there when it was under Hong, when it was under British rule um, and has allowed them to continue to renew those passports and I think get them for their children. And the foreign secretary of the United Kingdom, Dominic Robb, um, said on Thursday that Hong Kongers with British national passports will be able to obtain British citizenship if China moves forward with enforcing the national security law, right? So that's big. Um, that that is great news, and I would I would say that the U.S. needs to do like-minded things. We should definitely provide refuge for any uh, freedom-loving citizens of Hong Kong who need a place to uh, yeah to flee to if uh, 
China cracks down on yeah. Hong Kong and their lives. I've nature. always tried to be an advocate for refugees with legitimate cause to come into the United States. Um, and uh, if members of the Hong Kong Legislative Council opposition want to flee to the United States as political asi- uh, like asylum seekers, um, I would expect our government to re- welcome them with open arms. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and it, like, like this isn't like needless antagonization, antagonization of China, right? Like, these are policy positions. I think we're both advocating because we want to see China uphold its international agreements, right? And if they're not going to do that, then the international community needs to seriously think about perhaps recognizing a different Chinese government. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I believe you're referencing uh, Taiwan there, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, the the as as Congress calls it, the people of Taiwan, right? So Congress in 1979 um, passed the Taiwan Relations Act, which allows the United States to have relations with the people of Taiwan and their government, um, whose name is not specified, um, but. Um, <laughs> So Congress would have to change who they want the United States to recognize. um, And if they recognize the Taiwanese government as the Republic of China. Um, But if this is the continued kind of action we see from the People's Republic, I think think doing what we can to isolate themselves from the world stage so they lose their discourse power is something that needs to be considered. Um, It's also worth noting that China's being really aggressive in Kashmir, right? In India and has sent troops into disputed territory up there. Mm-hmm. It uh yeah you're you're absolutely right and they are just going to get uh more 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 and more aggressive until we start fighting back. I mean appeasement is a horrible strategy. It, it never works. Uh, if anyone disbelieve if anyone believes that appeasement is the way to treat a tyrant, I suggest you look at World War II and see what happened with Hitler when Chamberlain was prime minister versus when Churchill was prime minister. Uh, strength is what deters tyranny, not weakness, not appeasement. And uh, China has shown that as long as we're willing to give, they'll take. Uh, they have, as you said, they're dis- they're fighting with India now over uh, territorial disputes. They're getting more aggressive with Hong Kong. Concerning Taiwan, they just broke a 30-year precedent where they have been saying that they seek only a peaceful approach to the uh, territorial disputes. They, of course, claiming that Taiwan belongs to China and Taiwan claiming they're independent. But uh, for the first time, they have dropped peaceful from that, signaling that they're willing to do some more uh, aggressive options, maybe even a military invasion. They have started being more aggressive in the South China Sea, and they have announced a 6.6% rise in defense spending in an attempt to start to eventually be able to challenge our military supremacy around the world. This is going to get worse and worse until we show that we are willing to fight back and until we take significant actions to weaken China on the world stage. And I think one of the first things we can do to show that we're not messing around is uh, recognize Taiwan as a legitimate country and uh, start to support them fully. And that will really show China that uh, we're changing forever how the relationship between our two countries is going to be. And as long as they choose to support tyranny and oppression, uh, we will be an enemy rather than an ally in all aspects of foreign policy. Yeah, I... Here's where that gets tricky, though, right, is you have to remember China is one of the United States' largest trading partners outside North America, right? So, yes, 
It is. It's definitely we have dug ourselves a major yeah. hole. I think one of the worst uh, foreign policy decisions in American history in the past 100 years, the opening of China. And uh, we've made it where as the freeder of the as the leader, not freeder, as the leader <laughs> of the free world, we are seeing a vicious tyranny attempt to expand its power. And because we were irresponsible and because we put our economic incentives above our uh, responsibility as leaders of the free world, we find ourselves maybe being unable to do what we have to do to stop this tyranny. And that is a really unfortunate situation to be in. And we do need to take some concrete steps to, it's not going to happen instantaneously, but we need to start taking some steps to separate ourselves from China and uh, eventually have it where we have enough independence that when they do something like this, we can crack down on them without fearing that it's going to hurt us more than them. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like from a policy standpoint, but all, all policies need to be. Yeah, I want to actually like refute um, something you said. So I don't think the decision to open up China was actually a mistake when it was made, right? I think that's something that we can look back on in hindsight and say, oh, um, maybe this wasn't as good an idea. But like, if you look at the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union, a big reason why it was able to democratize, um, albeit briefly before Putin came to power, yeah, that, that didn't go so well. Right. But a big reason why like communism was defeated and the Soviet Union dissolved was that um, basically the economy started to liberalize, right? That was a big, a big aspect in that dissolution. So I evidently a liberalized economy is not the only thing that's required for democracy, right? But I'm I'm wary of saying that we would ever see a liberal democracy in China if we were to disengage, right? Like, I wonder if that only emboldens the dictatorial communist party regime, right? So how do we balance our economic interests, our interests in hopefully seeing a liberal democracy in the mainland of China and our desire to support our ally in Taiwan without like causing a firestorm of, brimstone and atom bombs i mean obviously we don't want a uh, a apop- apocalyptic world war three scenario but i have to disagree with the idea that opening them up economically was going to uh, help when it comes to this uh honestly i think that our uh of all the things that destroyed the soviet union uh the liberalization of the economy was not the main thing i think it was uh People like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and uh, uh, Pope John Paul II absolutely standing firm against communism and saying, we will not give you an inch. We will oppose you. We will build our military up. We will block you from uh, being uh, seen as an equal member on the world stage until you stop oppressing your people. That is what I think broke them. I think when you uh, look at other tyrannies, you really see that. I mean, we would never contemplate having extensive economic relations with Nazi Germany or North Korea claiming that hey if we make them if we make them rich maybe they'll maybe they'll stop some of their more evil policies that's not really something that i think works i think that's just appeasement by another name we really should be taking very very strong actions and basically block them from the world stage and give them the option to either be free and a and be given certain privileges on the world stage, or to continue to be a tyranny, and you will be isolated and alone. 
And that's going to require a big push on a big push from the United States to take responsibility and start acting as the leader of the free world, because that's not going to happen right. alone. We're going to need our allies on our side. We're going to need to start pushing these policies and getting the American people to start seeing how much of a problem it is. And that's going to require some discipline from our leaders. Like President Trump, for example, he did a great job today pulling out of the WHO, but then he goes and he tweets about how Joe Scarborough is a murderer. So maybe we could uh, try to get a little more on message about how terrible China is and get our people understanding who the enemy is and the sacrifices that we're going to have to make. Churchill, I think, is the best example of how to do this. Uh, when uh, he became prime minister in the middle of World War II, he gave a speech where he basically said, we're going to wage war. This is going to be really difficult. We are all going to have to make sacrifices, but we're doing the right thing and we're going to push through and we're going to succeed. And that's the that's the message we're going to have to give freedom-loving people okay, all over the world. Jack, we're about to have to make some Jack, sacrifices. here's the deal, is that the United Kingdom has always, uh, as a history of being at least cognizant of foreign policy because it's literally 30 miles across the ocean, right? But the United States, due to its geography, doesn't have that history of being um, concerned about foreign policy as much and tends to lean towards isolationism, right? So the American public isn't going to necessarily, I think, be as receptive to that message as the British public was in 1940, right? Like, Right. I don't see it working here. Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, I think that you know at a point, but uh, overall, I think that the message to the American people, uh, again, I would point to Churchill. This isn't the first time that there's been a great tyranny rising, and there were some on the United States that preached isolationism. Uh, Churchill, uh, Churchill basically went to the United States and he gave a, a speech to a joint session of college, <laughs> college Congress, and he addressed those who were isolationists. And he said this. He said, the price of greatness is responsibility. If the people of the United States had continued in a mediocre situation, struggling with the wilderness absorbed in their own affairs and a factor of no consequence in the movement of the world, they might have remained forgotten and undisturbed beyond the protecting ocean. But one cannot rise to be in many ways the leading community of the civilized world without being involved in its problems and without being convulsed by its agonies and inspired by its causes. The United States is now the leader of the free world. After World War II, we took over Britain's responsibilities on the world stage. We now have military bases in countries all over the world. We are the reason that there has been no major uh, earth-shattering conflict in Europe. Uh, as World War I and World War II have been since World War II ended, we are the reason that so many people live under freedom today, or live in freedom today, and in prosperity from free trade and capitalism. That's our responsibility. Like, like it or not, we are the nation that facilitates all this. And because of that, we're going to have to realize that in order to keep the world that way and to continue to make us more free, we're going to have to continue to take responsibility and take action and start doing things to oppose China. And the people who are isolationists have this idea that if we retreat, the problems won't come to us. That's not true. The, pro the problems are going to come. We live in an interconnected world. If we allow tyranny to rise, it'll eventually make its way to our doorstep. And at that point, there will be nowhere to turn. It, uh, every single violation of freedom that we allow gives credence to the next 
violation of freedom in the next one until eventually it's your freedom being violated. Right. Whenever there's a violation of freedom, you have to nip it in the bud. And as the most powerful nation in the world, it is our responsibility to do so. Right. Yeah. So I think this is a great segue actually to our um, World Health Organization topic, um, because I think part of the issue is that the United States has ceded over much of its um, agenda setting power to China um, in organizations like the World Health Organization. And I think as a result of that, um, Donald Trump has decided to withdraw the United States from the World Health Organization, as he announced today. Here's where I stand on this. Yes. Let me let me let me give my opinion before I let you kind of go on a go on a good tangent here, Jack, because I'm sure you have one ready. Um, Always. I think leaving the World Health Organization is the right decision. However, I think we are doing it in the wrong way. Right. Here's what I would have liked to see. I would have liked to see. Donald Trump come out today, say we're leaving the World Health Organization to found the International Coalition for Health or something, right? Whatever. I don't care what the name is. And say, here are all the nations who have already committed to joining. It's going to be us. It's going to be the United Kingdom. It's going to be the European Union. It's going to be India, South Africa, Canada, Mexico, Pakistan, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan as an observer, because we don't want to like piss off China yet, but like we'll get there. Don't worry. Um <laughs> But he didn't do that, right? He came out and said, we're leaving the WHO, right? That you have to replace it with something if you want to have discourse power. And the president isn't doing that. He's just creating a new organization and kind of hoping for the best, right? But they're not even creating an organization. Like, they're not even like, oh, here's what we're going to no, They're like, all right, um, goodbye. Um, good luck without our funding. Have fun. We could. So yeah, uh, sorry, I see go. why you. Go. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Uh, I see why you decided to speak first because uh, you have the exact same ideas as me. So now it seems like I'm copying you, not the uh, other way around. I, I entirely agree. Uh, it was a uh, probably let, let's be honest. We're dealing with President Trump here. So let's just be happy with what we got. Uh, he stumbled his way into doing something good. Uh, it, we definitely needed a pull out of the WHO. And I will say some of the uh, I saw on Twitter, like uh, Representative Ted Lieu, I believe, and um uh, many other Democrats were condemning Trump for this. Just because the organization has the name health in it does not mean that it's doing a good thing during this pandemic. There is a National Review has a great list of all the lies the WHO told uh, on China's behalf since this pandemic started. And uh, honestly, both the WHO and China hold some of the guilt for every single person that dies because of COVID because this could have been stopped and contained much faster if it weren't for their lies and deception. And we definitely needed to leave. I mean, uh, it's probably not a good idea to have an organization that is supposed to be spreading truth about diseases and viruses so we can save lives, have tyrannies in it who are very adverse to uh, spreading truth and allowing uh, that to be a thing rather than spreading lies that uh, strengthen the regime. But uh, you're completely right. It's not enough to just pull out and say, we're not doing this anymore. We are the United States. We have a responsibility. We need to be providing the solutions. We have to say, we're not doing X because we have Y, and here's why Y is better. Instead, Trump is just saying, we're, we're taking our ball and going home. And that is definitely the incorrect way to go about it, and it gives China the opportunity to look like the leader on the world stage, while uh, we appear to be isolating at home. And I hope that in the future we'll see the United States maybe start a health organization, the uh, one 
part I would disagree with you on is the first member I would accept as a uh, independent country is Taiwan. But uh, we do need to be taking, like, taking not just taking action, but be taking action that shows we're the leader on the world stage and we're going to be leading okay, this effort but... for freedom, not just. No, finish, and then Sorry, I'll what? then I'll refute something. Yeah, it's not enough to be anti-China. We have to be pro-freedom, pro-liberty, and when it comes to the WHO, in theory, that's a pretty good organization. It would it would be good if we could create our own that uh, does what it's supposed to do. Right. Okay. So I think listeners who have been listening since episode one will have realized that I am definitely a constructivist um, when it comes to foreign policy. I believe in institutions being important to um, habituate change in foreign relations, right? So here's kind of one of my thoughts. Um, I wonder if by not having a substitute organization ready to launch, if we might have been better off staying in the WHO and actually exerting influence in it, right? Because the United States has kind of stopped trying to exert influence in organizations like the WHO or the World Trade Organization or the International Monetary Fund, like we've kind of stopped trying to exert our influence. So I really wonder if instead of withdrawing, if instead we would have been better off kind of doing a long-term campaign to re-exert dominance over these organizations that were the biggest funder for. Um, you, you get what I I'm saying? You yeah, like have a point with that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like at an individual level, it's always better to wait until you have the next job secured right. before you leave your old job. And uh, yeah, on the world stage, like it would have been better if President Trump came out and he was like, we are leaving the WHO because we are creating this organization. And here's the joint statement that has been signed by Canada, Britain, Israel, Taiwan, and just goes through the list and really shows that the WHO has done bad things. China has done bad things. We are leading the effort against those bad things and for freedom. And here's all the countries who back us. That would have been much better. And uh, it really is, I think time will have to tell if this was a good decision. We'll see if we just stay at home and we're like, well, we left the WHO, bad decision. If we end up creating an organization or doing some more stuff to assert our authority on the world stage, we'll be able to say it's a good decision. But I think it's too too early to say, and with President Trump at the helm. Okay, I know know that sounded really conclusive, um, but I want to... um... I want to paint a metaphor here for you to kind of explain where I might be coming from with that position, right? It's like, it's like we left the table where things are being decided, but then forgot that we needed to make our own table. And now we're just kind of standing off in the corner away from where everyone else is going to make decisions, right? Like the United Kingdom didn't announce they're leaving the WHO. France didn't announce they're leaving the WHO. Israel's still in the WHO. India is still in the WHO. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I, like, I, I agree. I do think there has to be a balance, though. Sometimes uh, the United States has to be willing to lead, even if it means, and do the right thing, even if it means no one is going to support us. Uh, the thing that comes to mind for me was uh, when we uh, recognized uh, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. There were a lot of countries that were like, don't do that. There's no reason to do that. And uh, we did it anyway because we believed it was the right thing to do. Occasionally, it's okay to have those moments. But as a general rule, we do need to be coalition building and showing that the entire world is opposed – the entire free world is opposed right. to Chinese tyranny. 
And uh, it probably could have been much better coordinated. And uh, if we had, like, in a, there is a utopian world right now where uh, Mitt Romney is wrapping up his uh, second term while uh, Vice President Ryan is running. And we probably did that. But um, alas, we, we got this world. So this is, this is the best we could hope for until uh, President Kanye West uh, solves all, all global issues in, in a few okay, years. Okay, one last, one last thought here. If I'm thinking this was botched by the United States, you know who else I bet is thinking that? China and Russia and the UK and France and like pretty much everyone is like, um, this doesn't like, like, I really wonder like if this actually hurts, um, this administration's credibility on the world stage and their ability to like make things happen. Um, so I would, I would say for that, I would say yes and no. Uh, they definitely aren't handling it the best way. But then you look at the alternatives. Like, I don't think, like, maybe the Romney administration would have done a little bit better, but I don't think that a Hillary Clinton administration would handle this very well. And uh, Joe Joe Biden, for example, uh, just a few months ago, he was talking about how Trump's travel ban was racist. So I don't really, what he's doing isn't good, but I don't see a better alternative right now unless we can invent time travel or resurrect Reagan. I just wonder, would a... Hillary Clinton or Mitt Romney administration have done more to try and reform the WHO internally instead of just like taking what appears to be the Trump administration approach, which was, oh, we looked into it and we were fine with it. So we came back to it. But then um, actually, no, none of this works. So uh, we quit because it's not fair. Like it's like it's like a five year old, right, Who who's losing a board game, right, who like gets convinced right. to play on for a little longer and then keeps losing and is like, uh, I quit. Like that's not. That's not how you end up right. winning, well, and I think right? Like, really, this isn't. This isn't. Yes, the WHO is bad, but like we could have fixed I it think, internally, or we could have had something ready to replace it, and we chose neither of those. I think, I think that it's really going to be. We're going to have to wait and see. There are people who probably could have handled this better. Uh, yeah, but like Rex Tillerson, we'll have to see what his administration does for tr- for Trump. A lot of the time, yeah, Trump says a lot of things. Some of it's good, some of it's insane, some of it's kind of evil. You work your way through it, and uh, in the end, he rambles on Twitter, and his uh, his employees around him, they, they do the stuff that needs to be done. And we've kind of seen this uh, in the past before. I remember when Trump-Russia was still a big thing, he had this whole thing talking about how Putin wasn't that bad of a guy, and we've killed people too. It was a huge news story. But that same week, we helped Poland... Uh, install a new uh, missile system, I believe it was, to uh, be able to fight off any uh, Russian attacks that may come. I think we could see that again, where Trump says some rhetoric and basically looks like he has no sense of direction on what we should do, but his uh, people around him actually make okay, sure but that the right policy is done. Here's the problem with that, is that those people end up getting fired. Like Rex Tillerson, in my opinion, was probably a pretty effective Secretary of State, right? Like there weren't major diplomatic crises under him involving the department of state like it was only when trump would say something kind of out there that we had problems it wasn't like oh there goes rex again like pretty pretty like tame guy right but he's not there anymore i i I have to admit i think mike pompeo yeah secretary too so i uh even though it is bad that that trump decides to fire people based on uh, any random Twitter account he saw that day. I just don't 
the situation we have yeah. is not ideal with Trump. But what's the alternative? I just don't see a President Biden handling this much better. He, uh, I, I honestly think he well, would kowtow to China even more. I would more. be interested Trump, to know who Biden would make. Well, okay, no, 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 here's the deal. is I would be really interested to know who Biden would make Secretary of State, right? Like, Right. Well, I think just the Democrats as the whole, as a whole have been handling this terribly. I mean, compared no. to Donald Trump's certainly not the best solution, but compared, compared to the Democrats, he's been doing it quite well. I mean, uh, just a few, few months before this, like Joe Biden was saying that the travel ban was racist. Hillary Clinton's tweets were straight up retweeted by the propaganda outlets of China. They didn't even try to twist it. They were like, nope, she said it better than we ever could. Let's just retweet that. And uh, Nancy Pelosi was saying that it's not the Chinese virus. It infects everyone, not just Chinese people, which he wasn't trying to say that it's based on race. He was trying to say that it came from China. And she was encouraging people to go eat Chinese food and go to Chinatown. Like, that's, okay. that response wouldn't have helped either. They uh, they clearly didn't see China as the threat it was. And uh, at least, to Trump's credit, at least he's pointing out China is the bad guy, even if he's not doing smartest things to address said bad guy. Okay, I feel obliged to ask Jack, is it really that Democrats want to be soft on China or that they want to be seen as being anti-Trump? Um, honestly, I don't see this being different if it wasn't Trump. I mean, the thing they went to instantly was if you attack China over this, you have racist motives and that's not something that they did that's unique to Trump. I mean, they uh, they did that to Mitt, R Mitt Romney and John McCain, each of whom are much better men and not racist at all uh, than Donald Trump. Uh, so no, I don't I don't really see uh, the Democrats changing okay. this, even if Trump wasn't president. I think that they would uh, that they would have uh, been pro-China from the very beginning, even even yeah, if Trump that's wasn't. fair. I mean, appeasement. And kindness towards China yeah, has okay. always been yeah, more of their thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, even going all the way back to the 1980 election, Ted Kennedy was being soft on the uh, Soviet Union as he was trying to win the Democratic nominee. Okay, yeah, uh, no, that's, that's, that's somewhat fair. Um, yeah, I just, with how many things aren't necessarily like, oh, no, we're not, like, like with how many things, like, people are just opposed to whatever Trump says because Trump said it, like, I, I feel like it's a legitimate question to ask on almost any policy position taken by um, anyone. So that's, that, that's the only reason I wanted to ask that. Um, mm -hmm. so Jack, I want to, I want to, I want to turn to something, um, a bit more lighthearted than this kind of uh, grand strategy of geopolitics that we've been talking about. Um, we're recording this on Friday night at 10 o'clock PM and in about what, 16 hours or so. Um, hopefully U.S. astronauts will have launched from U.S. soil on a U.S. rocket. Yeah, that's good. that's going to be awesome. It uh, it's about time we got back into space, and it uh, <coughs> sorry, it actually uh ties directly into the uh, stuff with China as well. I mean, uh, the thing that sort of launched our innovation and our first going into space and getting to the moon was the space race against the Soviet Union. And uh, we do see that when we uh, have a common purpose as a country, when we have common goals in mind, we can really accomplish some great things. And there's been a lot of uh, a lot of bad news and partisan bickering and just not good things happening the past few months. And this is finally a really good story where we can see something awesome that American innovation is doing. 
and just shows why we uh, why we're such a great country. We get to do cool things like bring people into space, and that, that's just yeah, an awesome I'm, achievement. I know I'll be watching it live. Um, and on the topic of space, um, and this is probably something we'll talk about next episode. So prepare yourselves now. But Netflix just released their Space Force series. Um, it's ten episodes long. I've started the first episode and. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing the series. So, um, homework for all our listeners is, um, yeah. be ready for us to talk about that, um, by the next episode. Um, or we'll give you a spoiler alert and let you know to go ahead and tune out before then. So um, just, just a bit of, for sure. And on that, I would like to note a, a lot of, a lot of people have given Trump, uh, have messed with him over uh, the creation of Space Force. And I think it's gotten a lot of uh, uh, undeserved flack because it was Trump who created it. The Space yeah, Force actually is actually this. a great yeah. idea. Uh, I have uh, relatives I have relatives in the military. They have all told me that we need it. Uh, space is the next frontier for humanity. We do have enemies like China and Russia, and it is key for both the continued uh, expansion of knowledge and prosperity for humanity and the defense of the United States and all freedom-loving nations that the United States lead in space innovation and space defense. Because there are going to be weapons in space, and it's better that we be the ones operating them and knowing how to defend yep. our country I, than that our enemies. So, listeners, um, go ahead and listen and uh, watch that series on Netflix um, before next week. Um if Netflix wants to pay us for this, um, we will take your money. Um. <laughs> we will take anyone's money. We will accept China. Basically, if you have money, we will take it. Mike Bloomberg, if you're still if you're still doing that, we are we are more than willing, even if we are a little late to the show. Uh, college isn't well, going to pay for that, itself. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to yet another episode of This Is News. Um, Jack, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with before I sign us out? Uh, just definitely check out uh, America heading back to space again here, tomorrow and uh, stay healthy. As always, listeners, thank you very much for tuning into This Is News. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform is your personal choice. And you can find us on Twitter at This Is News Pod, where we would appreciate any and all feedback from you on the podcast. As another note, for those of you who stuck around all the way to the end, um, next episode, we're also going to be debuting some theme music for the podcast that I will be spending the next week diligently putting together. So get excited for that coming your way. As always, I'm Reem. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all later.